real-life apologetics. Tell me if this is true. You watched Mike come up here tonight, and I chose, I know Mike went to school, I know more about his background and, and his study and stuff, so I knew that he wasn't going to be flipped out by doing this tonight. But you sat here, and I don't know, what did you think when you watched him or listened to him? Other than the fact, you know, that was pretty good, right? I mean, I, there wasn't a question that he didn't have a pretty good answer to. In fact, most of those I would think that he was spot on, right? Um, so, and you, what were you thinking about watching him and then thinking about yourself? You were thinking like, I'm so glad it's him and not me. Or you were thinking like, wow, that was really good. I, I, didn't, I don't think I knew that. Or you were thinking about, if I'm ever asked that question, what would I do? Um, and so, I think sometimes apologetics, and I read, I see, I hold up these books, and you say, wow, that's just a little bit, so I got to read like 27 books and memorize one, two, three, four, A, B, C, and if not, I'll never, I'll, so you might as well just give up on it, right? Now, let me tell you, I, I think that can be very scary to think that that's what an apologist is, is somebody who has read every book, memorized every argument, and there's nothing that you could say that they can't answer. I was hoping that, really honestly, that Mike would say, hey, you know, that's a really good question. I'll have to get back to you on that, because sometimes you have to. <laughs> right, so, but it's nothing wrong. I, I want you to know up front, don't think that an apologist has all the answers. You don't have to, okay? Number two, think this, please, that you're not out to win an argument. You're out to win a soul, right? So I'm not out to win an argument. I'm out to win a, a soul to Christ. So that's an, also part of it. That it'll keep you humble and dependent and, and focused as well. Um, but let me have you turn to 1 Peter 3, the definitive verse. Um, by the way, not even remotely close to being the only verse, but it is the main one that people refer to about apologetics. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And again, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I, I read the history of apologetics, which you know, most of you would read if you would like to go to sleep a little quicker at night. But um, do you know apologetics biblically in the first few centuries is nothing like the field of apologetics today? In other words, we use it to this, all these arguments and how to, you know, it was not that. Here, here, let me tell you this. I have a bunch of, number one on my uh, points, I have four of them tonight. If, I'm not going to get there probably, but number one, if you'll turn to that uh, on there, Steve, is the context. You know, nouns and verbs, there's 17 of them, 17 uses in the New Testament. And get this, profoundly, almost every context, almost every one that uses the word defense in a way that we would use it today is in a context of a Christian, mostly Paul, or disciples being persecuted. Okay? So it's not about, in the Bible... Apologetics is not about sitting at a coffee table with asking someone who has questions about Christianity. That's not it. <laughs> That's not the normal. It's persecution. In fact, numerous ones are used. And in fact, this is the, the common use, not the biblical use. It is the biblical use, but commonly outside the Bible with secular people, defense to the Roman citizens of the day would have been, this is how you argue for your innocency in a public trial. So we would be accurate to say tonight, apologetics would first ask you tonight, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? That'd be the, if you want to be an apologist, that'd be the first thing you'd want to ask. 
If people at the job that you work at or the people who are neighbors in your neighborhood, maybe perhaps let's get more personal, people in your own family, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? Would, you, would it be totally an open and shut case? They, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so, he is definitely a Christian. Or would they say, as I've heard people tell me to their own embarrassment and shame, that I told someone the other day at work I was a Christian, and they said, seriously? You're kidding, right? They told me that that was said of them. So the first thing an apologist asks is what? If you were on public trial, would there be any reason, number one, to put you on public trial? And if you were, would you ever even be close to be convicted? So that's what the word is about. But in these passages, it's about, listen, it's about persecution. Now hear me. You ever heard the old phrase, I heard this growing up, the best, finish it for maybe sports-minded people, the best offense is a good defense, right? So apologetics is about having a good defense. But you know why it was necessary in the New Testament? Because they were already on offense, Do you know why Paul stood before Felix and gave a defense of his faith? Do you know why at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, 16, he uses the word apologia again, and he says this, At my first defense, nobody stood with me, and everyone forsook me. May it not be laid to their charge. So the first time he publicly, or literally the last, one of the last times he ever defended Christianity and his own Christianity and faith in front of someone else was when he would, they were going to be he was going to be beheaded and to defend himself publicly none of the guys none of the guys that were his disciples showed up for it because when you were on offense and had to have a defense it could be life threatening we know nothing about that right so here's the thing. Most of us, would we say this? Maybe I don't ever have to give a defense because I'm not really on offense. I don't really talk to people about Jesus, so they're not asking me about the hope that is in me. And you would say this, and maybe I don't live very differently than anybody else around me, so you know what? They don't know that I'm even on offense because maybe they aren't really going to ask me to defend something that they don't know that I own. So tonight, let me just say it, that's what we need to start with. And, and let me tell you this, the best, or our good defense, this is my main point tonight, a good defense starts with a good life. So before we get to, and me and Pastor Dave, over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about all kinds of subjects and things that you need to know. We're going to have question and answers and things that you can interact with, and, and more of the same things we've done tonight. And learning this subject biblically and through all different medias and methods. But here's the first thing you got to have. Before we talk about lip apologetics, you have to have a life apologetics. Before you can actually give out the gospel, you have to first be the gospel. See, you have to be it. And, and so with that in mind, look at 1 Peter 3. The context begins in verse 13. Now, as I read these four verses or so, Look for the word, remember I said a good defense. Look for the word good. Okay, it's used in in a way that fits our context 11 times in 1 Peter, a few more times in quotations. 
but 11 times good is describing what kind of Christian that we should be in times of persecution and suffering because this is a platform for our apologetics. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is, say it, yeah, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared, here's our word, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Ready? Second one. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your, say it, good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. You get the point? If so, that God's will than for doing evil. So here's what Paul sa- I mean, Peter's saying. You know what a good defense is? Is someone who backs up everything they say with a good life. Watch. What does that mean? Notice the times it's used. Verse 13. If you, if you are zealous for what is good. The word zealous is the same word used of Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' followers. This is who he was beforehand. He's very, just now being introduced into the Chosen series, if you've been watching that. But he's the guy who has all the martial arts looking moves, but he has the knife. And he, zealots were people who in crowds, large crowds, went up and stuck a knife in the back of Roman soldiers uh, for their cause. That's what zealots were. They were intense, intense, risking themselves and everything for the cause. So when he says, be zealous for good works or for good, He's saying this is not someone who moderately goes after it. This is someone whose life is characterized by an intensity for living a life that is good. And he's going to fill in that definition of what good entails for us in other places, but also in this one. He also says later on, verse 16, having a good conscience. So the first one is a good life, and that refers to, and there are many other ones, good works, good deeds, they're all in here in this, in this book. But see, there's an external good, and there's an internal good, a good conscience, he says. And then do it with gentleness and respect. So the goodness that backs up a good defense is one that marks the believer externally. Not only are they doing good in the community and being good and doing all kinds of good things, and exemplifying Jesus on the outside, but they have a conscience. They have the way, it's not that they just do stuff that's good. They say stuff that's good, and you know what? It matters to them how they say it. So let me be real direct, and I've said this over COVID a few times. A good apologist is not someone who goes on the internet and has someone disagree with them and call them names and use all kinds of language and all kinds of stuff on there. You can't be defending Jesus and the gospel over here and then using foul language or tearing people apart on the internet and other places, even other Christians. You can't do it. Have you ever heard this statement? Listen to this. 
What you are, who you are, I'm sorry, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Okay, Ralph Waldo Emerson was anything but a Christian. But I think he was saying it of Christians. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Let me say it to you a different way. Um, Be careful what you do, because you may be the only Bible someone may ever read. How about this? You you remember this song? How many of you? Phillips, Craig, and Dean. You remember them? Pastoral Trio. There's a chorus of a song, and this was a song I listened to when my kids were smaller, because it it made me, inspired me a little bit. And the chorus goes, Lord, I want to be just like you. Mike sung this, right? Because he wants to be just like me. Now listen to this. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. What would that be like? Help me be a living Bible Lord. I thought that was a great example or a definition of an apologist. A living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. Your kids, you are, as a parent, you're the first Bible your kids will ever read. It's not the one with all the little comic characters on the front. It's you. Do you know some of the people? You remember that story I told you on Sunday morning, Emil Callier? You know, he didn't even pick up a Bible he didn't even know what a Bible was until he was 23 years old. You think that's funny? That's not, I mean, that's far-fetched. It's not. Talk, talk to people regularly about Jesus, and you'll find that people do not know about the Bible at all. I had a friend, and this is a number of years ago, but I had a friend who told me they were talking to someone about, and they mentioned Jesus Christ, and they asked what team he was on, meaning they didn't know really who he was. It's like telling young people today, hey, have you seen Bugs Bunny? And they go, who in the world is that? They don't know Bugs Bunny or Popeye. They don't know. Jesus Christ isn't far different anymore. But they may be reading you. So before we get into the subjects and how, to, how would I respond to transgenderism and how would I argue with someone about homosexuality being wrong and the definition of marriage needs to be biblical, How would I tell them about gender identity and who created them in the image of God and how racism is wrong today and here's why. You see, before you get into all those things that are really, really good, none of them matter if you don't have a life that supports and backs it up. So that's what Peter says. Ready? He says, good life, a good life, a different kind of life. That's the context. And then number two, the conduct. Thank you for finding that, Steve. The conduct, good is to, and and here's the ones. I didn't give them to you. Chapter 2, verse 12, 14, 15, 18, 20, 3, 6, 11, 13, 16, 21, 4, 19. So you say, I can't write that fast. That's why you can watch this over again somewhere. But there's a lot of them in there. And over and over again, here's what he says. A good defense, you know what it's based on? A good, 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 good life. Good inside, good outside. Number three, the content of apologetics. Go read all the verses. Every, I did it this last week or two. Um, all the verses on apologetics. And you know what you're going to find? You know what the number one methodology for Paul's apologetic was? He, he had other ones, but I believe his number one, you know what it was? 
giving his testimony. Read Acts 9, 22, 26. Read Galatians 1. Read there, five or six times in the middle of, of discourses and narrative about his life. You know what he tells? He got almost beat to death in the court uh, in Jerusalem in the temple, and he's standing up there. He raises his hand. The Roman centurion gives him a chance, and then he goes and tells him the Damascus Road. Of all the things he could say, he didn't break into, let me give you the number one, two, three about why you're wrong and I'm right. He didn't do that. You know what he said? Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Now, let me ask you, and don't answer out loud. We're going to do it eventually in here. Please take it seriously. You need to know how to give your testimony. I would love it. In my discipleship groups, if you ever join mine, right, it is mandatory that you not only learn how to write your testimony and memorize it and give it, but you have to give it in church publicly. And you're going to have to give it to other people as a witness um, because I believe it's the number one apologetic. You know why? And, it's, and, in, and in my group, you don't tell the, it's the we don't do it this way. I, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus died for me. Okay? Most people today look at that and they don't, we tell it in a story context. So you need, testimony is telling those facts, all of them included, in the, in the realm of doing it as a story about your life. You know, instead of saying, I'm just a sinner, and go on, you're a sinner too, right? And that means, no, they, you know, you, how you grew up, and the things that you did, and you might even, depending on how detailed you want to get, hey, I got off into this, and this, some of this is what I did, and I got way away from God, and I may have had religious background. And then you tell them, hey, and then someone got into my life and told me about Jesus. And you know what? They gave me the gospel and it changed me. And I, I didn't get saved. It's not just I got saved so I could go to heaven, although that's true. But the, the story is that Jesus died and rose again and he changed me. And you know what? That salvation started right now. And let me tell you, here's what I was doing. And then I stopped doing that. And ever since then, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. And here's what's taking place in my life. And you know, and, and so we, we've learned to tell a testimony in our D groups, about how to tell a story and make Jesus the climax of it and put all those points in there, Romans Road, all of them are in there, but they're just not isolated, abstract facts. They're real-life truth that has impacted and changed your life for eternity, and people will listen to that. I want to help you do that in this year. I want to help you to learn the power and effectiveness of your own personal testimony. I already know a long time ago, I, have, I did not get saved like the Apostle Paul. God did not shine a light, knock me off my donkey, blind me, you know. I had a guy who, one time I went to a conference, the guy told the thing, the story, and he said, hey, you know, someone had witnessed to me and I was under conviction and I didn't know what to do with it, so I pulled over and I pulled over on the side of the road and there was a Shell gas station and, and the S, the light on the S was burned out and it said hell on it. And, and so I, I said, that's what God must be telling me. I'm going to get saved. I don't want to go to hell. And he got saved right there in front of the gas station. I go, how am I ever going to top that? You're not going to top the Shell gas station testimony, right? You don't need to. You don't need to. Because God's power to change your life forms and happens in so many different ways. And they're all miraculous. And your testimony can be incredibly powerful. But you need to be ready, always be ready to give an answer. Listen, of what? Of the hope that is in you. See, you know what apologetics is? It's you've got something 
in you that nobody else has around you. You know what it is? Hope. Not just hope that when you die, you're going to heaven. That's down the road. Hope now. Because the way you live now, they'll look at you and say, why don't they cuss? Why, why aren't they afraid of being not accepted by their boss if they don't do the things he asks? Why don't they act and use their time and money like everybody else? You know what they're going to come up with? There's something going on different with them. They, have a, they won't say it this way, but they have a different hope. See, the last thing, the content, and then it says the contrast. The reason of the hope that's in you. And then it goes on to say when they slander you for it and when they say evil things against you. You know why? Why would they slander an evil? Why, why, why would they do that? Because you are so different from them. The only possible responses to your different life and the hope you have is either to take it on and join it or to mock it and destroy it. There's only two responses. And by the way, brace yourself because it's going to happen very, very soon in America. You're going to live an apologetic life and people are going to mock you and slander you for it and say all evil against you and more. So you know the time to get ready for it is now. The time to get our kids ready for it is now because let me close where I started. Everyone in this room is an apologist. That's not the question. The question is, what kind of apologist will you be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, the start of this series. Before we get into all the details and the arguments and things we can say and we act it out and do some role play and other things that we're going to do, Father, help us to take to heart that the first thing about us is that we're apologists with our lives. And if we want our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members and friends to hear the gospel, we have to be the gospel. We have to live it out, not just give it out. Help us to that end. We need you. We need to do some serious business in our lives. We can't be doing this stuff on the internet. We can't be talking and doing and acting and living like we are and expect people to see that there's something worth emulating or having when they look at our lives. It is my prayer for every one of us who name the name of Jesus that we would live such lives in the power of your Holy Spirit that people would see you in us. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of apologist we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.